0: This week, we're talking about a passage of scripture in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. And the sermon title is Do You Trust Me? That's going to like catch us off guard for what this is, because if you're familiar with this passage of scripture, for the most part, we don't talk about it in, in, in relation to trust. But we will today. And as soon as like I put the title on this title page, this image came to mind because I am a 90s kid. And there is a movie that Disney put out called Aladdin. And he says two times to Princess Jasmine. Do you trust me? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> like, that was her first response, like, yes, I just met you today, weirdo. But, <laughs> but every single, I'm not, t- I'm, I'm not kidding. There have been times where I have been in the throes of struggling with honestly believing and trusting God for something, and this image comes to my mind. Do you trust me? Like, yes. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Right. So that's where we are right now. Before we actually jump into it, though, I think it's important when we're talking about Jesus's words, oftentimes we just jump in because Jesus's words are eternal. They're not time bound. I get that. They're not. They're like from beginning to end and everything in between, like it always is applicable because it's Jesus. And we jump in oftentimes as though there were not a group of people he was talking to initially when he said these things. And so I think it's important as we talk about this, that we set up context, Jesus's words in context in terms of the people. There's a lot of things that we can process. But for right now, just the people he is talking to a vulnerable, vulnerable people under the thumb of Roman occupation. None of, most of us, I shouldn't say none, I don't want to assume, most of us though, have not lived in that kind of environment, right? We live in the United States of America. Most of us in this room are from here, though there are some immigrants who are part of our church, fam, yo, right? But most of us, when we think of oppression, We think of racism, we think of misogyny, we think of all of the ways in which our system has kind of kept some people down. And that is a thing. It's a thing. It exists. It has existed and the Lord is yet working in it. However, that's not exactly what they were experiencing. It's a different kind of like ethnic oppression. Rome. Has come in, I think you need to kind of think about not 2023, the United States of America, but like in 1662. Europeans coming into America and really taking over Native American land. That's kind of the way in which you really need to imagine what that feeling is. Most of us don't have that feeling, I know, but that's kind of where you need to go. There is a group of people that has come in, more, has more military power, has more might than you, and imposes that to basically strip you of your autonomy and your power, take over your land, And ultimately, integrate you into whatever society they're trying to make there. And you, as a native individual, are under that kind of oppression. Fear is a real thing. Right? These individuals do not care about your well-being. It's not whether whether you live or die is not their primary concern or whether you like the digs here. It's not what they're concerned about. At best. You increase the population of their society. So you are a number. I'm only saying that because you need that's That's important for us when we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, because that's who Jesus is talking to. And they are anticipating a Messiah to come and get rid of all of that, right? Like, hey, like, soon as Messiah show up, like, hey, stepping out, okay? Like, that's what their anticipation is. These people are, they have several generations in a way of being, that most often in scripture is referred to as the law. So let's talk about the context of the law. In this particular portion of scripture, it's talking about judicial law, but there are three kinds of law in scripture. Moral law, which is kind of like right and wrong. Don't do this, do that, (laughs) right? So think 10 commandments, right? That kind of thing. Think. Uh, and but judicial law has to do with how they judge like right. We have a judicial system here, too. When someone has an argument with another person, somebody did something. This is how they adjudicate ceremonial law. What not to eat, how to burn up your sacrifices. I'm telling you all this to lay a foundation, because if we miss this stuff, then we miss what Jesus is actually saying to them anytime. time. Now, let's jump into Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Jesus has already been preaching on the mount, and he says this, and even Tiana, week one, she set us up reminding us that, Oftentimes in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is creating a little bit of contrast. You've heard this. You've been taught this. This is what I say. Right. If you remember that from week one, Jesus is doing that here. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If you don't know where that comes from. There's a few different places. In Leviticus, well, can you read the one in Leviticus? Anyone who injures another person must be dealt with according to the injury inflicted, right? That, that is, I'll keep on going. A fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Whatever anyone does to injure another person must be paid back in kind. That's what Jesus is referring to. That's what he's talking about when he said, you have heard this law, Right? Well, what does that what why what is that the law for? Initially, it's meant as a control within their judicial system. Basically, don't go too soft on the people you like and don't go too hard on the people you don't. Which we can learn something from. <laughs> right? It's initially meant as a control. It was, and I want to be careful here. When I say initially meant as a control, that's how we imagine it. There's other portions of Scripture that's like like seriously, especially in the Old Testament, it's like, do not go too soft. They poke somebody's eye out, you poke their eye out. Like, there is this justice button in Scripture that's like, we ain't letting none of this slide. But most scholars will interpret that initially as a control. But by the time Jesus showed up, it really is this transactional and more so like I'm entitled to justice in the way in which I see it. Kind of like kids arguing in the back seat about how many suckers they get from the uh, bank. It's like, he got two, I should get two. Like, <laughs> she got three, why only get two? Because they gave us an odd number. (laughs) Like, she has more teeth than you. No, no, I don't know. Just eat the suckers. Like, ultimately, by the time it got to Jesus, when Jesus was talking to them about this, it had less to do with control in terms of their judicial system and more to do with, I want to judge between you and I. You hurt me, and I want to hurt you in kind. Only pause there. We're going to keep going. Jesus said, I, you heard about that law, but I say, do not resist an evil person, exclamation point. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Um, I did a little bit of just digging. I wanted to know what that resist word meant. literally means stand in opposition to. Keep going. If you are sued in court, and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. I did all that setting up so that we would feel the tension of what Jesus is saying here. He's talking to a people who are literally under somebody else's power and authority and have no autonomy to decide what happens to their life, and Jesus is like, just take it. Right? If we just start there, we come in with our Christian ethics, which this has existed for more than 2,000 years. So most of us have already heard this. So we're like, yeah, 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 turn the other cheek. I got it. Yeah, great. Move on. Um, That's not how they received this. What? (laughs) A Roman soldier tells me to carry... His gear for a mile, and you tell me double it. What you talking about, Jesus? Like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I need us to put ourselves in scripture there. Yes, we will use I yes, I want us to apply it to our life right now, but if we don't feel this the same way they felt it, then we miss what Jesus is saying This is more than just two kids in the back seat he hit me This is more than just you stole my goat so I'm going to take yours Jesus is asking something of them that is intense Nearly impossible emotionally <laughs> because Truth be told, Jesus, not only did I not expect you to tell me to take it from these individuals who are oppressing me. I thought you were coming to actually take care of that. So are you telling me to t- do two miles and then you're going to take care of it? Because I'll do three if you're going to take care of it right after. Just take care of it. Another moment from uh, Tiana's sermon during the setup, she talked about Jesus giving this renewed vision for God's people, which would require also a new control, right? If this law, the control is equal punishment for injury, then a a new control actually has to enter into the situation. And here's where it gets all messy. Because many of us, we, we like those words, like, turn the other cheek. We like them, quote, unquote. But we don't. <laughs> I think if we're to take anything from that immediately, Jesus is reminding them of something that is said in Deuteronomy. I will take revenge. I will pay them back. In due time, their feet will slip. Which I'm gonna be honest, I had a little moment of joy when I thought of that. Sorry, their their day of disaster will arrive, and their destiny will overtake them. I'm telling you, I was just like, man, I just can you imagine it? Like all the people who like did you wrong, and they just walking down the street and they just slip. It just felt right. I know it's not supposed to feel good, but it felt good. I just like, I don't even care how you do it, God. Like, just raise up a root in the middle of the sidewalk, King Jesus. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it felt good for me. And there's another portion of scripture that's in Galatians. And we don't often use it this way. But it does apply. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. This is that sowing and reaping thing. Like, if you like, you know, old, old black folks, you say, sowing and reaping. <laughs> Just look at somebody. Like, uh, you know, I, I would see on, on social media, that's karma. Like, <laughs> like, my grandmother, that's sowing and reaping. <laughs> Whatsoever a person soweth, that will they reap. <laughs> These are like boundless truth that Jesus actually has said from the beginning. This is just kind of how it works. You sow this, you'll reap this. You sow that, you'll reap that. That's kind of how God made this to function. And... In this case, he's talking about this idea of revenge. And let me go back to why it felt good for me to imagine the people who did wrong to me tripping in the middle of the street. Because as Christians, we like this idea of turning the other cheek, but we hold grudges. Like I made this little picture. Like if I was thinking like if I was to make a movie, like a grudge, never let go. I can't hit you, but I can hold you. (laughs) Like, think about it. Think about it, right? Like, think about it. How often do we settle into the obligation of "I'm not going to do what they did to me," and we repeating, "Don't repay evil for evil," but the whole time we just wishing they fall. We're just hoping, literally praying <laughs> for their demise. I'm gonna be honest with you and tell you, I've done that and reveled in moments when people who have harmed me get what they got. Right? I mean, I'm, listen, y'all might be more saved than I am because <laughs> some of you are like, no, that's not my story at all, Chase. I'm, when they when they curse me, I bless them. Listen, when they curse me, I cuss in my head. No. Christine's like, no, and I I, I, I Christian cuss. No. Conflab it. No. We don't I know. That many of us have gotten to a place where we've disciplined our hands, but our hearts get hard real quick. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, we don't need to think about an eye for an eye for us. That was what Jesus needed to say to them. And it does apply to us. But I would say as a Christian movement... We're not, in general, seeking the same. We're not not seeking kind of retribution in that way in which their culture was. But I think if we were to be convicted in any way, it would be our hearts being hardened when someone has hurt me. Sometimes we are able to, if we see all that was, that was a human error, mistake, move on. But I'm gonna be real with you. When it was on purpose, it's harder, yes. right? Yes. Like sometimes, I, like in our house, I'll, t- I'll talk about like people making a mistake, but like you, this, but that wasn't a mistake. That was on purpose. That wasn't an accident. I got, I have grace, mercy all day for accidents, and even for you not knowing. Like you know what? Okay, it hurt a whole lot, but you didn't know. But yeah. You did that on purpose, and I'm sorry, cause sorry ain't gonna cut it. I need something, and uh, I need. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Uh, in Bible study we were talking about like the role of the, the pastor is really just kind of being the sheep with a bell on like so look all of us who that's our story where somebody who say sorry and they did it on purpose they need something just come on because I got that bell on I need something and it actually brings more joy than it should to me that to know that God will get them. I'm just being honest. It brings more joy to me than it probably should to imagine God spanking them. <laughs> Again, thinking about what it is to be a child with siblings telling on your, your siblings, like, get them, daddy. Get them, mama. Like, get them. Just, just get them. No. <laughs> You've heard this adage before. Most of us have heard this adage before. Holding a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Right? That's, we've heard that. There's this other one, though, that I was like, ooh. We often hold a grudge because we don't want to let the other person off the hook. But who's really hooked? The one who's holding on or the one who's moved on? That was Lori, can't pronounce her last name the shame. That stuck with me this week. That stuck with me this week. Because I've been in that place. I've been in that place. Glory to God, I've matured a little, but I've been in that place. I've been in that place in every single relationship in my life. And I'm not trying to tell you that you've been in that place, but I want to invite you to consider have you not slapped their cheek but hoped that someone would for a very long time. And while it has brought me more joy than I want to admit that God's going to get him. There is an element to me actually trusting that God is taking care of it, that he's inviting me to. And that's actually what this question is, do you trust me? Because actually holding a grudge is another form of not trusting God. Holding a grudge is another form of not trusting God because I'm going to sit here and wait for you to do it. God, get them in my timing. Now's the time. (laughs) They just got a promotion. Now get them fired the week after. Right. Holding a grudge honestly is another form of not trusting that God has it. Because ultimately, when I hold a grudge, when someone has done something to on purpose, not on accident, on purpose, slap me in the face, carry my stuff, take me to take me to court on purpose. When they have harmed me on purpose, God. It is way more difficult for me to trust that you have that. So I need to make sure I micromanage your judgment. So if you could just make sure that they can't, none of their prayers ever come to fruition, Lord. Just, just mute the call, Jesus. I'm. T- I know y'all saved. I have. Listen, I'm confessing. I literally have asked that of somebody. But what I've learned is that if we don't trust God's ability to judge, our grudge actually is held against God. Some of you will remember this image. I know, I know. So some of you like you're reacting to the fact that this image brings up some pain. So those of you who have not been a part of Unison from the earliest ages of Unison, we were pursuing the four-star theater. God gave a vision for using this space. There's so much good here in Grand Rapids, in this part, the third ward, this part of Grand Rapids, and particularly performing arts. We have singers and rappers and musicians and dancers and, like, people, like, when you think about every single like c- celebrity musician or performer that's come out of Grand Rapids, they kind of came out of this part of Grand Rapids. Right? When you think about the DeBarge family, when you think about Marvin Sapp, we like, these individuals, Al Green came from Gr- this part of Grand Rapids. Floyd Mayweather from this part of Grand Rapids. <laughs> We have so much good and it's never highlighted. All we ever hear about on the news is who died and who did this and who robbed that. And there's so much good. And the vision was to give all that good a home. A place where performing arts could be cultivated in people. Businesses can start out of that with people people training other people in performing arts. And having a venue for all of this good that God's already placed here, right? I think sometimes as churches, we think about, I got to bring something that God's going to bring into this neighborhood. God already put something good here. Let's just give it a home. So part of that process was inviting uh, some people to help us get the numbers. Like, all right, what does it take to actually do that? We entered into a contract with the the landowner. And about two months before that contract ended, um, uh, we had no idea that this happened. We have actually found out um, on uh, MLive that um, one of the people that I brought in to share the vision of that space with bought the building um, and then did a press release with the vision that um, I cast. And let me tell you I have never in my life, never in my life been so angry. Not because it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. It really wasn't. It just caught me way off. I mean, when you say blindsided, like, oh, and that was not an accident. There were several people. In that moment, who conspired to steal what God had given, and I sat in the car and just cried. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. I cried, and I was angry. And that was the moment in which I left in that parking lot. I left trusting God with big things. Amen. Yeah. Amen. I left it there. I'm just being honest. I was like, uh, nope, <laughs> not that. I struggled with trusting other people for a little while after that. Like, God, I'm good with you, but you're, these are the humans? They can all kick rocks as far as I'm concerned. <clears throat> Barefoot. <laughs> <laughs> and as we say in our home, in December. No, <laughs> like, I just, I wanted to hurt. <laughs> I told you that I actively was praying. It was about this. Don't listen to any of his prayers, God. Like, I was hurt, angry, and hurt. And I still am. I still am. A few years ago, I was praying in the morning, and God invited me to pray that that vision would still happen there. And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> if he, I'm telling you, this is the conversation I had with God. If he doesn't look up my phone number, find me on social media, call me, say sorry. Give me the building. (laughs) Pay for it to get renovated. I ain't asking for nothing. (laughs) When I told you when they do it on purpose, I feel like I want something. That was the longest moment of silence because I was at a standoff with God at that point. Because I really didn't feel like the Lord was going to let me let that go because he asked for something specific. And I just sat there like, no, nah, I'm not. I'm not praying that I won't. I won't. <clears throat> and um, in the dark eventually, stubbornly, just like a little kid. Sorry. (laughs) God, let the vision cut the past. (laughs) Doesn't have to be me, Jesus. Go. And then was... Still angry. I thought about like afterwards, like, man, what would happen if I actually saw that dude? You know what I mean? I'm only saying this because if, listen, my great grandmother, if you ain't been there, if you haven't experienced that yet, just keep living. <laughs> At some point in our life, someone does something that is so egregious. That we argue with God about how he intends to engage with them. If you haven't gotten there yet, just keep living. And when it happens, not if, when, I don't care how nice you are, I don't care how pretty, how handsome, how talented, when it happens... That someone sins against you so egregiously that you literally don't want to talk to God about it. That's when Jesus's words actually have to come to mind. Someone slaps you on the face. Turn to them and give them the other cheek. Which is not the same thing as saying take abuse. I do want to make sure I say that clearly. It's good to, it's okay for us to learn from what happened, right? Okay, so I learned, don't trust that guy. (laughs) Trust Jesus, not that guy, right? And perhaps even be careful about who you share the vision with, Chase, not everybody is for your good. Okay. Yeah. So you get to take life experience with you. But at some point, God invites you to release the grudge. Yes. And that's the part. That's hard. And for those of us, when I said I'm not saying take abuse, when you come out of that thing, You come out of that relationship, come out of that work environment, come out of that experience that is abusive, that is neglectful. You will begin a journey, not of going back to it, but even in the healing process, releasing what happened. releasing it, after that prayer, I actually mustered up enough self-discipline after a few days to actually pray it for real. And I snicker at the fact that it hasn't raised any money yet. So (laughs) just being honest, he's still working on me, family. He's still working. I'm not holding it. But I do snicker. No. <laughs> I'm listening. I'm not Jesus. Just a sheep with a bell. I can say confidently that I'm not holding him to it. And I'm not asking God from, to make him do anything to repay it. I do actually believe that Grand Rapids needs good there. So, Lord, however you want to do it, I trust you to bring your vision to pass. You make it happen. I do believe, and that's sincere. That's sincere. That's not me pretending. That's sincere. Now, the other side of that is there have been times since where God has asked me, to trust him with some big things. And I have had to say to him, Lord, you did not come through that first one. And so this is when I say that the grudge is held against God. Think about it. If you've been deeply hurt in a, a romantic relationship, trying to get into the next one is really, really hard, even if you're asking God for it. It's really hard. Like, mm, God, that one didn't work out. What you gonna do different this time? Yeah. Not like yeah. listen. Man. And it's I'm not saying that's that's human. The invitation is to lay that down. Not lay down what you've learned, and not pretend that things were okay, but to lay down the ability to hold them and God to something because it hurt. Because the reality is you're not holding them or God to anything. You're holding you up. You're holding you up. I, for a long time, couldn't ask God for anything beyond my basic needs And the Lord has been inviting me to ask for more than my basic needs. But it's been more of a struggle because I want God to do. I want God to come through on what you said you were going to do five years ago. And if you ain't going to come through, at least at least strip the building from his hands. See how I'm micromanaging God's judges justice there. So if you won't do that, then I'm not asking you for anything that you haven't already said you're going to do. And who does that actually hurt? God ain't hurt by that. I am. That's just my story. Change the names, change the details to fit your reality. Because if you haven't already gotten there, just keep living. What Jesus is inviting us to as it relates to them is not to not care about what they've done. He's inviting us to see those who hurt you beyond the pain they inflicted. To see them beyond it. And that is way more difficult than any of us want to ever admit. But that's why it was so incredibly challenging for them to hear it the first time. It wasn't something that was like run-of-the-mill kind of stuff. You want me to see Romans beyond the pain they inflict every day? That's not a thing, Jesus. Figure that out and then come back. You want me to see them beyond what they did to me? I'm not ready for that. The number you have called (laughs) (laughs) I'm only saying this because it's real and that's what we're invited to. And quite honestly, Jesus, throughout all of the Sermon on the Mount, we'll see this in other sermons throughout this series. He asked for some incredibly challenging things and they feel fluffy and they feel lighthearted to us. Now, 2000 years later, where humanity has a little bit of time to practice with it. But the reality is we've not practiced with this at its heart. We've practiced at it with our hands. We might not hit back, but we hold people and God to something that is more like our definition of justice. And what Jesus is inviting us to is to see them beyond the pain they inflicted. And to trust that God will take care of what they've done. God will judge between us. It is my role to see you beyond the pain you inflicted. And God will judge between us. That is not the same thing as, now I'm going to stick around and let you keep on doing what you're doing. That right there is insanity. Get out. Get out. And as you get out, Go through a process of letting the Lord have all of that pain fall off of you because where you're going next, you won't be able to take that with you and be well there. I'm not saying this is easy. This process for me has taken years and I'm still snickering. Right. Just being honest. Help me, God. Help me. God. Help. And sometimes, honestly, that's more than enough of a prayer. I don't know how to do that, Jesus. Can you help me with that? Do it. Ask. I don't know how to do that. Last little nugget. Learn from it without holding the offender and your heart hostage. Because <clears throat> When we harden our hearts toward an individual, it's not just our hearts that are hardened toward them. Our hearts are hardened, period. And I know that we think that we are hardening our hearts just with them, like, "Mm, no, I I don't do that. I I don't mess with them. But really, really what's happening in your soul, what's happening in our heart is that I don't mess with no one really because being vulnerable enough to allow that kind of pain in my life is not something I'm interested in ever experiencing again. So I'd rather be cold and alone than warm and in pain. And God is inviting us to. You don't have to live in that pain, daughter. You don't have to live in that pain, son. But the only way in which you're going to actually be free, the only way you're actually going to experience the fullness of an abundance of life that I've designed and desire for you is that you release them and me. I will take care of it. I got it. I got it. Do you trust me? I'm not saying that's easy. I really am not. I'm not saying I'm not. But if, the more we read Jesus's words, the more we actually realize that none of it's easy. None of it's easy. The last sermon, it well, wasn't easy. I still like sweets. I don't want to always do what God wants to do. Sometimes I want to micromanage God's justice, but the invitation is, do you trust me?